What am I talking about? The extraordinary gospel. Is it extraordinary? Has it transformed your life? Is it going on transforming your life? Or is it a bit of past history, actually, if you're honest? So just think, okay, what is the gospel to me? What actually does it mean? Because I think we can get over-familiar. Because one day, the gospel changed our life forever. I remember, not that long ago, there was a buzz phrase in our church at New Community, Jesus changes everything. And when people became Christians, honestly, that's what they would say. Jesus has changed everything. Literally, from living one lifestyle, they suddenly were confronted with Jesus and suddenly their lifestyle was so different. And when you rub up against a new Christian, doesn't it do you good? Because it reminds you (laughs) of yourself and actually how you need to be positioned far more in your life with the reality of the gospel. And actually, that's the thing that gives you the power to change your life. And so what is it? What's the reminder Jesus died to pay the penalty for our sin so that we might become children of God through faith alone in Christ alone. That's it in a nutshell. We get so complicated, don't we, about sin and forgiveness and, you know, will Jesus come good for me? Faith in Jesus Christ. John 3.16. Anyone going to say it out loud for me? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son should not perish but have eternal life isn't it great and we do get complicated do you know the gospel is mentioned over 99 times in the new testament which says to me it's important right (laughs) and then of course throughout the old testament it's pointing towards the gospel isn't it it's amazing speak to our theologians here So it's about salvation and victory over sin and death that God offers to all people through the person and accomplished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, as proven by his resurrection, ascension and session at God's right hand. I mean, we do surveys and chat to people on the street, and it's incredible how some people actually think that Jesus actually wasn't real. They haven't yet heard that there is more documental evidence that Jesus was a real person than Julius Caesar. And yet they'll believe Julius Caesar, but they, you know, there's so much hidden, but actually he was a real person and we've come to faith in him through these incredible acts that he has performed for us. He now offers a share in his triumph to all who will accept it. So that sounds like good news to me because... This is the really, really brilliant bit. It's a gift. It's a gift of God. It's not earned. We really like to earn stuff, don't we? We spend our whole life earning stuff, good behavior, passing exams, and it's all because we've done it. And then we feel great, don't we? I know I do. Even delivering this talk, I might for some measure of few. I've done it, but actually, that's just rubbish. <laughs> but it's the gift of God. It's not earned by penance, you know, I will do better, I will sacrifice to do this, or by self-improvement, which actually in our culture today, that's what it's all about, isn't it? We can improve ourselves, but the gospel is not that. 
Romans 5, there's so many verses, so I can't go into them all, but you need to go away and do a Bible study yourself. Romans 5, 8 to 11, is all about God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that is definitely my story. And then in 1 Corinthians 15, I'll read something out so you know I'm not making it all up. And because I haven't got around to getting Janet to put it all up on the overhead, you have to wait while I find it in the Bible, the real Bible, not a virtual one. I know, I get a bit naughty. So this is what Paul's saying in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, sisters, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Jesus Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, He was buried, raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. I'm still alive, 2,000 years later. And um, although some have fallen asleep. And then last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. And you know, I had a life where I had a fantastic Christian upbringing Super parents, very happy childhood. One or two things went wrong, as they always do. But, you know, I decided I knew better without God. So when I came up to London, I was brought up in the country in Sussex, but I came up to London to to do my nursing, and I thought, well, all that stuff? I started with the Bible by my bed, and in those days when you're nursing, you spent the first eight weeks in this old mansion, and you had to share a room with eight other girls. Just imagine what that's like. And uh, I was homesick. Um, the girls in my room, I thought, were a bit weird. I'm sure they were thinking that of me. But I had my Bible by my bed. I'm going to read it. And then after a few weeks, I thought, no. Nah. <laughs> and I thought, you know, if you like, with the bright lights or whatever. But I just, I didn't stay connected. And I wandered off far away from God. I lost the power of the gospel in my life. And you know, in Ephesians 2, 4 to 10, there's this amazing thing. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. Again, it's the gift of God. You know, your story is so important. Your story, doesn't matter whether it was dramatic like mine, how you came back to know God or whether it was actually quite simple and childlike in your face. It's the most dramatic thing that's ever happened in your life. And you need to be proud of it. (laughs) And you need to tell it. How often do you tell your story to someone? I deliberately, so, you know, I have all these little challenges to keep me fresh in the gospel. A week goes by and I say to myself, have you told your story this week? And if I haven't, I'll go and find someone. (laughs) And... (laughs) terrorize them with it (laughs) but it really does you good even to to a friend who's a Christian I do that say hey I need to tell you my story it reminds me where I've come from what Christ has done in my life and it's got nothing to do with me and how good I am or you know how well I'm doing because actually even when I'm doing not so well 
then's a good time to tell your story. And Paul told his story loads of times. I know his was more dramatic than yours, but (laughs) even in Scripture, it's retold twice, his story on the Damascus Road. He considers it the thing that motivates him in his life. So, for me, the gospel was over-familiar. Raised in it, there it is, Sunday school, scripture union, Baptist church, morning, evening meetings. Just remember things like making my chocolate last right through the sermon. You try sucking a small bar of cabbage daily milk throughout a whole sermon. It really keeps your concentration. I was only, you know, wasn't 18 at the time, I was only nine. So. <laughs> And it was really boring. (laughs) But left it far behind and really lived, I have to say, a life right in the world. I didn't just half jump in. I jumped in with both feet and experimented with many very unhelpful things. And then one day, you know, you sort of think, you found Jesus. It's not really true. (laughs) He finds you. Um, So the gospel was like, I was thinking the other day, what was it like in my life? So... I'd come to faith as a young child, but I had deliberately moved so far away from it. There would be times I'd wake up in the morning, right, and I was nursing in my flat with my friends and everything. So when your subconscious hasn't really kicked into your consciousness, I'd I'd wake up and I would feel terrible. It's like guilt and shame would start creeping up, and it's really great. You can very quickly bury that. So that was the only time when I thought, I don't feel so good. No, what you're doing is, no. (laughs) It was like background music in a cafe. You know, you go into coffee shops and there's this wretched music. Sometimes it's good and you think, ah, Starbucks sometimes does play jazz. (laughs) Um, But you can block it out. You think, I don't like that sound, I'm going to block it out. Dave and I go out often on our day off after the weekend to a nice cafe that we know does really decent cappuccino, take all the weekend papers, and we don't talk, because we've done enough of that over the weekend. (laughs) We read the papers, you know, they're like everywhere, and there's one place we go to, and she knows when we come in, oh, it's their day off, and they're, you know, they're not going to talk, they're going to, I know what they want, it's really nice, and it's a nice view of the street. But the background music sometimes, Dave can't, he can't switch off, because he's musician type, you know, he goes oh, that Richard music, turn it off because it's in my head. But I'm really good at blocking it off. I can block anything off. It's probably all those years of backsliding and backing God off, blocking him off. But that can so easily happen to us with the gospel. But one day, I, um, I actually, by mistake, ended up in church. And uh, it was one of those things where just before I went, I had this terrible feeling something was going to happen. So I tried to not go but was compelled to, you know, one of those ridiculous things. And it was like turning a corner in the road and thinking, oh my goodness, Jesus is blocking my view. It, honestly, it really was. Someone had a prophetic word, and I'd never even heard one before, but it was like, it wasn't nice. <laughs> you know, I love you, come back to me. It was you, follow me. It's almost like, what do you think you're doing? Almost like, this is your chance. If you don't take it, you're in even more trouble. <laughs> Jesus can be like that. Out of his incredible love and his compassion, he will command us to follow him. And that's what happened to me that day. I needed that um, connection and that compulsion from him. 
And the weird thing was, was, I can remember it as clear as anything, I thought, he is so beautiful. He's so holy. And suddenly, probably the first time for a few years, I was so aware of my sin. I was so aware of how revolting I was in my thoughts, my attitudes, my lifestyle. But he was so beautiful, I couldn't resist it. So that's what drew me, not any sense of, (laughs) you know, it's about time, or everyone obviously knows who I am in this church, but I couldn't resist him. And today I don't want your good news, your story, to just be cafe music coming around in the background. I want it to come centre stage and impact your life, because your ordinary life needs to be impacted by the extraordinary gospel and because it's what gives you your identity. And it takes over your heart and it wants to restructure the way you live every day. So within two weeks, literally, of um, literally coming back to God and making him Lord again... Oh, that's a pen. I made radical changes to my life. And even as I was thinking about them, I thought... When did I last make a radical decision for Jesus? I need to do a few. <laughs> Not in a bad way, but thinking, what am I doing? Come on. What's, what's happening in your life today? I know at, at the beginning you, you probably need to make more. But um, everything changed. I finished a very serious relationship I was in. And the guy, because I had, had been living abroad, he came to England to find out what on earth was going on with this girl who he thought he knew. And then suddenly she's gone mad. What was slightly worrying was he turned up with an engagement ring and I said, oh, no, you can give me the ring, but I'm not coming. (laughs) It was a very nice ring. (laughs) It was very tempting. I thought, oh, and he was very wealthy and nice and all that. But but it, it was like, I know I can't do this because I'll get drawn right back in and Jesus won't be in the center. So that was hard. And other odd things happened without me thinking about them. So I stopped smoking, which was quite a big deal, but it was like I suddenly realised I wasn't smoking <laughs> from doing it because it wasn't, didn't feed the satisfaction anymore. Realised local church was the only way I was going to get... Suddenly I had a revelation of the local church and, man, I'm weak, I need help, I need to get established here. So I moved, changed my job, got a job in, as a nurse in the community, um, managed to find somewhere to live because I thought I can't live with my parents I'm 24 and it's not helpful (laughs) Um, and the most amazing thing I got filled with the Holy Spirit which really changed everything because suddenly the living God was like flooding me and I started speaking in tongues which I thought was really weird because I wasn't used to hearing it because I'd been away for so long (laughs) and I was going to my mum and said is it all right to do this and you're going yeah keep going (laughs) in fact the night that I got filled with the spirit I was just so you know I just felt the liquid love of Jesus it was like he really loves me and he doesn't he's forgiven all that stuff I spoke in tongues all night and I was going to work the next day and I thought I hope I don't keep doing this at work the patients will think I've become Arabic or something but what about today oh the other thing was being reconciled to my parents who you know, had obviously prayed for me. That's the only reason I'm here, (laughs) is because of the prayers of amazing people. But today I can be so tempted to fit the gospel around my agenda, my needs, my plans, 
um, my goals. And basically, the gospel could be there to make me feel good about myself and the things that I'm doing. Don't rock my boat, but just meet my needs in it all. I was listening to a sermon by Tim Keller, and he said, well, the gospel um, brings these things into you. It brings availability, dependability, and expectancy. And I thought, well, that sounds very disruptive to my life. It's it's meant to invade my life. You know, it's meant to make me available. Mm. Be dependent, realize I'm dependent, and also to be expectant for God to use me. So, hmm. So what is the gospel? It's to acknowledge my weakness, to start with, to acknowledge Jesus has paid for everything by his sacrifice. You can't add to it, you can only receive it. I once did a talk on grace, nothing to prove, everything to enjoy. And that comes back to bite me sometimes, (laughs) because it's like, what are you doing? You know, stop trying to prove things. So where do you find your worth and identity? Every culture throughout history tells you, you know, how to build your identity on something. In biblical times, it was, you know, how many sons you had, how much land you had, your tribe, all those things were part of your identity. So what would you think today's culture is? Basically, it's individualism, isn't it? Your worth is in yourself. Your achievements, your education, your career, your material possessions, your looks, your Instagram feed, your Twitter feed, your Facebook feed. So now you can even publicize your self-importance and your success for everyone. And it's such a lie, isn't it? Because we all follow each other anyway, and we don't actually want to be an individual. We want to be liked. How many likes have I had today? Um, We actually don't want to stand out in the crowd. But the gospel is the complete reversal of these values, sets you free from the conditions of culture. You actually don't care what people think. And Ephesians 2, 5 to 10, it says, it's a gift, not work, so no one may boast. Actually, we've got nothing to boast in. Every day is freedom day. I'm loved, I'm accepted, I'm chosen, I'm forgiven, I'm holy, I'm complete in Christ. It's my legal position. I'm not going to move from it. So I want to encourage you, we need to live by truth, don't we? I was reading an article, we live in a post-truth generation. I'm so nonsense, these phrases, they come out. But it it was the word of the year in 2016, that we're much more led by emotional and personal belief than we are by actual um, objective facts. That's what this generation around you is living by. But we're different. We no longer bow to feelings either of self-importance or self-worth. It says in Colossians 3, 1 to 3, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So when I was an early Christian, I really took the word of God on like a, a work to do because my mind was so in so many other things. And my new identity was just so important to me. And the gospel was the thing that gave me my new identity. So put off the old, put on the new. I literally would walk around my flat feeding myself the truth of who my identity was until it got into my heart and into my belief system. So, but what's changed? Do I still do this? Do I still remind myself of who I am? 
And you know, it's so silly because I forget. And my low self-worth and the things from my past, they can still even now, so what's it, 40 years later, they can still creep in to my thinking and accuse me. And I can so easily go down. Who are you? What are you worth? You're not that well educated. You're this, you're that, the other. You don't know how to speak in a meeting. You don't know how to stand up publicly. I used to be terribly, terribly shy. And I was very bullied as a child in my first year at school. So much so, I didn't learn to read. I couldn't do anything. I was called stupid by my teacher for the whole year and often stood in a corner. So that damages you for life, but the gospel delivers you from it. But your mind is your mind and you still get accused, don't you, from things in your life. So I know what it's like to apply the gospel to my life and say, oh, I'm a new creation in Christ. I won't be intimidated by people, by events, by things. I'm secure in his love and his mercy and his grace. But even today, you see, I can stand up here and think, yeah, well, I never, I've not been on the academy. Melinda has. I've not studied theology. Hannah has. So wait until you've heard them and then you'll feel better. <laughs> but I'm just trying to show us that um, how easily we can move on. So let's look at a few areas where the gospel can transform our everyday. Um, so going back to the individualism complex that we seem to be living in today, our self-absorbed culture, I'm going to quote from Tim Keller, who is quoting from something that C.S. Lewis said in Mere Christianity. The thing we would remember from meeting a truly gospel-humble person is how much they seem to be totally interested in us Because the essence of gospel humility is not thinking more of myself or thinking less of myself. It is thinking of myself less. How much do you spend thinking of yourself? 99%? It's terrible. And it doesn't condemn us, but it's set us free that we waste so much time thinking about ourselves. Gospel humility is not needing to think about myself not needing to connect with things with myself. It's an end to such thoughts as, I'm in this room with these people. Does that make me look good? Are people noticing me? Do I want to be here? True gospel humility means I stop connecting every experience and every conversation with me, myself. He wrote a little book, Tim Keller, called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. It's a really good little book. (laughs) Just too challenging, though. (laughs) It just shows you how to stop drawing attention to yourself. And we do. Whether we've got a high degree of self-worth or a low one, pride is the thing that we both um, have. You know, in 1 Corinthians 4, Paul says, hilarious things that, oh, I don't care that much about my opinion. Just imagine me having to say that. My opinion isn't up to much. My opinion is what Jesus says. So a gospel-humble person is not a self-hating person or a self-loving person, but a self-forgetful person. I forget things all the time now, I'm getting older, but what I need to do is just forget myself and stop worrying. (laughs) I like this. It's a person whose ego is just like her toes. It just works. My toes just work. I don't think about them all the time. It It doesn't draw attention to itself. Does it? I guess unless I stub my toe. The toes just work. 
The ego just works. It neither draws attention to itself. So have you met people like this I'm talking about? Amazing people. You know when you're with them because you just want to hang out with them all the time. It's like being with Jesus. Some people like that, aren't they? So I was talking to Doris this morning and I thought, oh, she's like Jesus. I think I'll just stay in her embrace. (laughs) This is so nice here. She's so warm and loving and she's asking me questions. Mm. (laughs) It's true, isn't it? You think, oh, this, this person's just so much like Jesus. So the one person, major person in my life, is so much like Jesus, was my mum. Such a godly woman. Had a, oh, all sorts of things happened in her life. But she, you know, not well educated, but she loved the word of God. She loved Jesus. She was always embracing change. She was in the first New Frontiers church. She was involved in its formation because she'd seen a vision of the local church and the restoration of it. And she got filled with the spirit. And as a backslidden Christian, I thought, she's gone crackers. <laughs> but every time I came home, you know, as a wayward child, she would embrace me. She would love it. And I knew the difference. There was grace. She wasn't like, you felt like you weren't judged. She wasn't bothered. She would actually ask you about your antics and sometimes think, should I have just said that? But she, she somehow had the grace to accept me and be interested in me without condemning me. And when she died um, a few months after I got married, and when she was dying, she said, don't you turn anyone away, because I want to see everyone. And there was this stream of people in the last three weeks of her life. Like, oh, this is awesome. I had to bring her bed downstairs so for the people to come. And it made me realize she just lived a very ordinary life, never traveled, never became a leader, just did millions of hospitality. She must have fed the whole of the student population of Sussex, I think. One uh, student couple who fell in love in our house, evidently. So as a thank you present, they gave her a baby duckling. (laughs) Which ended up growing into a full duck called Jemima, who lived in our garden. Anyway, the tragedy is, after she died, I left it out one night and a fox got it. But she doesn't know. (laughs) But she, people loved to hang out with her. Leaders, all these church leaders turned up to say goodbye. And it was that, uh, one woman said to me, she said, you know, the thing about Margaret is that when you're with her, you feel like you are the most important person in the world. And you go away feeling strong, feeling great. And I thought, I want to be like that. All right. So, pits I fall into. <laughs> what are your pits? I'm looking at the time. Okay. So, this is a really great one, the first one. The pits I fall into is my sin. Oh, dear. <laughs> Sounds a bit heavy, doesn't it? But it's not. Because it's so, I know, it's so obvious but easily missed. Are you quick to confess sin? Because if you're not, you're You're stupid. Because we have a saviour who's, he's our advocate. He can forgive us. And if you read in 1 John 1 verse 7, if I read it to you, this is what it says. Um, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we have no sin, if we say we have no sin, I'm sorry, we do deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins 
and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that incredible? So we've been saved by grace and we go on having the grace available to us. You know, I'm sorry, but until the perfect comes, we're going to fall and fail and all sorts of things. One day, (laughs) and as we walk and are sanctified by Jesus, we do sin less, don't we? Because we're close to him and he convicts us and we've got the Holy Spirit. That's why you need to be filled with the Spirit daily, because he will convict you of sin. You say, oh, that was the wrong thing to say. Why are you thinking that? But if you dull it down and make it like background music in the cafe, you won't recognise it. And to be honest, if I'm, you know, there's a whole list, isn't there? Just thought life. You you covet someone else's beauty or you're jealous of someone or you envy someone's gifts or you resent things that have happened in a conversation or you find you're arguing about absolutely nothing with your husband, which can't happen sometimes. <laughs> but what do you do about it? Do you just say, oh, it wasn't that bad? Or do you come to Jesus and say, look, I'm, I'm really sorry? You have to humble yourself and say, they might have started it, but I carried into it. And Jesus, please forgive me. And then you get grace to just be released. What I find is, if I don't confess my sin, I get really grumpy. I have a grumpy day because I haven't dealt with it. It sort of like drags me through the day. And also it prevents the gospel because you've lost your confidence in being able to share it because you're doing it. So I'm saying don't live there. Know your heart and let the Holy Spirit convict you. Because when you just literally confess your sins, immediately you're forgiven and it's forgotten. It's gone, it's behind you. And when you do it, you just feel such relief and such joy. And you, you start thanking God for your salvation right next thing Uh, forgiveness, be quick to forgive so get forgiven, be quick to forgive you have no choice here (laughs) as a Christian you have been forgiven for your sin no one else could forgive you but Jesus so his condition is well you better forgive because you've been forgiven and when the disciples question him he goes no, not seven times, but 70 times seven. It's like, this is a bit unfair. <laughs> Especially when you know certain things have been wronged against you to, get, to forgive. So would I forgive that teacher who bullied me for a year? As an adult, I had to realise I'd never done that. And it hurt me. And I thought, I'm going to have to do it. <laughs> and other things that people have done against me, you forgive. It, doesn't, it might mean sometimes you have to go to them and sort it out with them and speak to them. But sometimes you just have to do it in your heart. And an up-to-date example, I was with, um, I know, praying for a friend at home only last week. And there was an anxiety and a source of depression and even anger in her life. And we were praying with her. And I just said to her, you know, I know that your father was harsh. Have you ever forgiven him? She went, No. I said, you need to release him, you need to forgive him. So she started praying, she said, Lord, will you help me forgive my dad? And I stopped her, I said, sorry, you forgive. You don't ask for help, it's a choice, it's a decision. She was like, wasn't she? She's like, oh, this is being really harsh. <laughs> but I thought, I need to challenge you here. You can't ask for help, it's a choice. It's your, you know, you're a human being, you've got, you've got a mind of your own. And so she managed to get there. But what was interesting was, as she said, Lord, I I do forgive my dad. 
I love him, I forgive him. All the times that he, you know, he didn't understand, he was too harsh, I forgive him. And then she said more things because the Holy Spirit then opened the door to reveal. She said, Lord, I forgive my parents because they showed favoritism to my sister. And then she started really crying because it was all that resentment suddenly was released. Forgiveness is very powerful. Don't ever be held captive to it because, again, it prevents the gospel. Uh, third one, fear and anxiety can paralyze you. I don't know what you're like, but sometimes over, sometimes a relatively minor issue, round and round and round and round and round, like a merry-go-round in your head, anxious thinking about something, even fear of others, what they think of you, approval, something someone said, it can go round and round. And you know, if you don't apply the truth of the gospel to your mind and your identity, it can really be a trap and like paralyze you. Condemnation is another one. You've got to learn to sift out the lies from the truth. Here's a really good one. Materialism, consumerism, a different God, not the gospel. It's an idol. And there's a real need to get rid of this one. I don't know about you, but we live in such an age of consumerism where everything now is so in your face. So online, there's this constant plug at you to buy, to have, to want. And it becomes so absorbing. And because I don't know much about technology, you know, you read these things and you think, oh, that's clever, I'll use that as an illustration. So, algorithms, I didn't even know what they were, but they're code set up to pummel you with things that they think you'll like. So I was looking through the social media things you're in. You think, how do they know I like that furniture? Because you've looked it up once online, so it's put into a little thing, and then it bombards you with... So I'm looking for a sofa, so I looked up made.com, very nice sofas and armchairs, and I'd spent, and then you spend far too long, don't you, looking? And then for the following weeks, everything I go on, there's made.com starts chucking things at me. But it's like... Next, next, next. You need the next, not next shot. You need the next kind of thing. It's horrible. And it, the thing is, it's meant to feed into dissatisfaction. So even when you get it, it will then say the next thing. And don't tell me you're not affected by it, but we are. So the best thing to do, a good counteraction is to give stuff away. A friend of mine just cleared out our wardrobe and gave all her clothes away and just kept a few. She said, well, I'll never wear them. And you suddenly you appreciate something more and also you're released from the trap of thinking, I mean, I love clothes and I can get tempted to think, well, I can afford it because it's in the sale. It's a bit bizarre, isn't it? No, you're spending money. <laughs> Next thing, my time, my busy life. That's a trap, isn't it, really? But we are so busy these days in our culture and everything. But 2 Corinthians 5.14, For the love of Christ controls us because we've concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who, for their sake, died and was raised. Oh, so I don't no longer live for myself. That is the gospel. Sorry. My life is not my own. I've been bought with the price. Jesus is the one in control. And so, sort of rounding up here, going back to what those things of availability. So, the gospel, 
positive or makes me grateful and gives me my identity. But what does it propel me into? It makes me available because Jesus has just done everything for me. I'm available. He's Lord. I want to follow him. I'm dependable. I acknowledge my weakness, you know, and I have to come to God. And it makes me expectant because I think, well, I'm a follower of Jesus, so things are going to happen. And I'm sure you'll be hearing about this throughout the day. So, available. His power in my weakness, expecting him to use me. My day can look in two different ways. My plan, my agenda, who I'm talking to, who, what I'm doing. And you shut out anything else that might want to be added in. Or, I've still got a plan and an agenda for the day, but there's a flexible bit around it for the Holy Spirit to maybe sometimes change direction or make me extend a bit of time. Have you ever given time to someone when you're too busy and slightly supernaturally you still have time to do the thing that you were going to do? Seriously, you need to expect, you know, the miraculous and the supernatural to come into it. Dependent. I think you've got to come to a place where you worship a lot because that's where you get the gospel into you. So start your day worshipping, gets it all in the right um, perspective, get refreshed in God, get filled with the Spirit every day. So in the morning I try and say to myself, Lord, come and be with me today, and good morning, Holy Spirit. It's your day, what we're going to do today. It's like just getting your mind in the right way. And get with a friend. So Melinda and I, every week, early in the morning, we praise and worship God. And what we try and do is not talk first. It sometimes falls down because <laughs> we're women and we know how to communicate. But, you know, you have to put things in place, don't you, to get the gospel into you. And then changes, you know, the expectant. Since I've started applying the gospel daily to my life, so much more has happened in terms of the gospel being worked out in my life because I'm looking for things to speak to people, to say to people, whether it's in the church, helping someone pastorally, you bring the gospel in, whether it's in the shops. I've probably told you before, I have experiences in Lidl where the whole world is in Lidl and you can have an amazing time with the gospel, showing love and compassion to people, helping a little Russian lady get salami off a shelf and then chatting away to her saying, Jesus loves you. And she doesn't speak a word of English. <laughs> But she's very grateful you've got the salami down. <laughs> and then even, you know, at the till, there was a guy in front of me with um, a, a thing of shopping, and he didn't have the money to pay for it. So I said, oh, let me, I'll pay, I'll pay. It wasn't that much, I don't know, five, ten quid. And he just looked at me, he's like, what? And he said, well, thank you. And then the checkout girl was like, what? He's just going on here. <laughs> so... But when I'd finished, and he waited for me, you know, and he was a, a, I think a refugee, hadn't been in the country long, he didn't know what he was doing really, and I said to him, you bought loads of water, the water here is good, you don't need to buy bottled water. Anyway, it was quite hilarious. But you know, I just said, well, I'm a Christian, Jesus wants you to know his love and come to church. He hasn't, but... You have to be liberal, don't you, with your acts of kindness. And then just um, before I came, I thought, yeah, what gospel demonstration have I done this week? And I thought, nothing. Come on, you're going to speak about it, do something. And then I remember, 
sounds, you must think I'm completely mad. A very old lady who lives around the corner from me, I once gave her some marmalade a couple of years ago. And I thought, I haven't seen her for ages. Perhaps she's dead. I know. I've just made marmalade. I'll go around again with the next jar. So I went around, knocked on the door, and her son looked very strange at me. It invited me in, and it was a very interesting house. I've never seen so much stuff piled up. I mean, it was like walking to a hoard of accumulation of 80 years. And there she was, this little lady still there. And we had such a lovely time. And she was like hugging me and kissing me. And I was like, what's going on? She said, I love your marmalade. I said, here it is. And she said, it was really odd because she said, I often think about you. And I said, well, come round. Knock on the door next time you're out on your little shuffle. Because I have witnessed to her in the past. And she's very hostile. She gets really cross. And I thought, well, if you still like me... (laughs) We'll get in. I'm just saying. And then travel, talking to strangers. As I told you, I'm shy, but I'm now not in that respect. Although sometimes I will sit on a plane, and Dave always gets the aisle, and he wants me to sit next to him. So then the window seat is a stranger. And sometimes I pray, Lord, let me have a great conversation. Sometimes I say, do I have to? (laughs) But when you're looking for it, the opportunity is there. So I'm just going to ask you, in your local community, rounding up, the gospel means you love everybody. Do you? Or do you only mix with people like you? Your age, your social standing, or do you cross those cultural boundaries because you're a woman of the gospel? Do you go to someone who's just in a different stage of life? Do you go to So I've got a friend at home called Emma, who's in her late 30s now, Emma Cole. And she became a Christian at school as a teenager. She has learning difficulty. I don't quite know how to describe it, but she's had a very, very difficult background. And yet the grace of God on her. And I learned so much from her. She is a true friend. I don't go and hang out with her because... That's what you do as a Christian. It's because I've seen the gospel in her life, and she's a true friend. We love each other. You, you cross those boundaries, and you find you're not just doing someone else good. It's doing you, the world of God. You don't stay in a little closet with your mates. Get out and listen to Hannah later. So the conclusion is, are you enjoying the good news of your salvation? Is it part of your daily life? Are you feeding on the truth of who you are, that you're forgiven, that you're free from sin? Enjoying the grace of God. Are you applying it to the areas of your life that can become negative? Are you asking the Holy Spirit to show you these things? The gospel needs guarding. Paul says it to Timothy. Guard the deposit entrusted to you. Are you guarding the gospel in your life or are you neglecting it? Is it just like background music? And are you available and dependent and expectant for God? Because... In our ordinary lives, I live a very ordinary life. I do housework. I hang out with friends. I cook. I look after a husband who's terribly demanding. (laughs) And uh, we travel. We're often in other people's houses, in other people's beds. It can be very tiring. But the grace of God is on me, just to be myself. And that was a thing for some time I struggled with. Just be yourself. Don't try and be someone you're not. And people love it because they get the real you. But it's because you're gospel-minded. Let's pray.
Lord, I just thank you for the opportunity to share with these really wonderful women of the gospel. Thank you, Lord. Each one of us has a unique individual story when the grace of God rescued us from a Uh, just an awful life outside of you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You've forgiven our sin. We've got eternal life. But you're calling us to follow you. You're calling us out on an adventure. That In our ordinary, everyday lives, you want to be involved. You want the gospel to sharpen us, to equip us, to set us free and to make us useful in your kingdom. So come and be with us, Lord, and teach us in your way. Amen.